Hello, I'm Jennifer Hansen and you're listening to Take a Breath, a series where we ask some of the amazing people who work within our 302 community to sit with us, take a breath and tell us their stories. We'll hear all about the passions, heartaches, hopes and fears of our friends who dedicate their lives to bringing breath to others. Today our host Helen Palmer is talking to Lizzie Webb, Chair of the Board at Frio 2. Welcome to Lizzie Webb, who works on the team at Frio 2. Thanks for being part of today's conversation. It's my pleasure, Helen. Let's start with your main role on the team and where you're located. Thanks, Helen. So my role is to chair the board of Frio2 Foundation, and I'm based in Brisbane. That must be a very warm spot in the world today. It's just delightful. In fact, I'm looking out across New Farm and the sky's blue, and just quietly I've been thinking about a swim a bit later this afternoon. Sounds wonderful. Sounds wonderful. Now, there's probably lots to know about you, I'm wondering if you can provide it in some context of how you came to Frio2 and that might expand to the skills or the interests that are part of your backstory. Certainly, Helen. So for many years, I worked with an organisation called Engineers Without Borders Australia, and a big part of our work was supporting communities around technology and infrastructure development. And one of our supporters was also working with Frio2 Foundation and thought that I might have some useful skills that I could uh, bring to the table and support the Frio2 team. Uh, this particular supporter understands I have a real passion for getting new ideas off the ground. I've got experience in the engineering profession and around technology, and I delight in bringing together passionate people um, around a particular purpose or cause. So they connected me with Roger Rasool, and then I shortly afterwards met the rest of the team oh, and was completely hooked in. <laughs> oh, indeed, indeed. It always fascinates me when people have maybe a background in something like engineering and then they get involved in something. And, and we might come to this a little bit later, but I think often it's sort of clear that somebody who's maybe an engineer or a doctor, there's a role for them to play in these kinds of foundations and projects. But I suspect there's opportunity for people with other skill sets as well. Well, in fact, critically so, yes. If if uh, if all projects only had engineers, we'd be in trouble, I think. <laughs> well, I have to say that when I think about engineers, I tend to think, and it's probably very stereotypical, I think of people sitting behind a desk with rulers and slides and maybe sitting with a computer. I don't think of them as somebody who's necessarily out in the field ah. and being innovative. Helen, I ran away from that sort of work within five years of graduating and in fact to be honest I probably knew within a few weeks that sitting in front of a computer doing computer you know doing modeling um, wasn't going to be for me I, I love working with people preferably every hour of the day and being very creative with the types of work that I'm involved in oh, so wonderful. yeah so uh, I think there's growing recognition both within the engineering profession and more broadly that uh, engineers can be innovators and creators as well as problem solvers. And many of us end up in, in different types of business roles, including business leadership. And um, it's been a very, very long time now since I did any hydraulic modeling. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> well, I know one of the things that the foundation's been working on is getting reliable electricity to provide oxygen as a life-saving treatment for children with pneumonia. Now, I'm interested, what powers you? What gets your juices going to do the work that you do? 
Well, I think there's two things that power me. On a very personal level, I feel energised when I'm out in the natural environment. So I do a lot of kayaking and mountain biking. Uh, and I really prioritise that on the weekend and preferably I do that with friends because that's a really important thing for me as well. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, the other thing that really powers me is working on social challenges and opportunities and doing that with great people and feeling like I can make a contribution that's lasting. So both of those things together um, really drive me. So I'm going to imagine there's a world where Lizzie Webb has left her mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I hope so, although um, not necessarily in a particularly visible way. Um, I am very comfortable taking roles behind the scenes, supporting others, and uh, it, I take immense satisfaction from particularly working with younger people who might initially connect with me with a lack of clarity around what they want to do in their roles or, or their careers more broadly, and, and just asking a couple of questions or giving them a bit of encouragement um, to to find their their place for the next couple of years, that I find that incredibly satisfying. Oh, I can relate to that, mm. <laughs> indeed. How long have you been with Freeo Two now? I joined the organisation as a volunteer about three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, for the first probably twelve to eighteen months, I helped out periodically with grant applications, and then mid last year. I became more involved and was invited to nominate to become a voluntary director. And then just recently, uh, about two or three board meetings ago, so back in about July, August, uh, I put my hand up to take on the position of chair. So you've had a few years of being involved and being exposed to many things. Is there a memorable story that sticks out with you about either something that's going on at Frio 2, something that you might have heard or something that you were involved in? Yes, Helen, and there's two very different memories that come to mind. Oh, we'll take two. Go for it. <laughs> and I'll be, I can be brief. Um, the first is that within a couple of weeks of connecting with Frio 2 Foundation, I was invited out to a team lunch on Ligon Street. And I understand that's that's one of the number of, of rituals or activities that the group have historically done together. And my overriding sense was that this was an incredibly committed, passionate group of people who were unbelievably inclusive in their style and welcomed me in with open arms and had a lot of respect for one another. So that's very much speaking, I think, to an element of the internal culture of the organisation. Mm-hmm. And then the other memory that comes to mind is, is probably in about July last year, um, I'd flown down from Brisbane for a board meeting and I was walking through the North Melbourne campus um, for the University of Melbourne uh, and popped out onto Swanston Street and there was the tram with a great big banner with baby Francis on the side um, promoting the role or, of, of oxygen as a, as a life-saving part of treatment. And I had this moment of thinking, wow, there's the story of impact that we want to create and really grow dramatically. And it's now very much out there in a visible way in the public. So for Mm. me, that was almost a a signpost to saying, yes, you know, there's a lot of background work that's happened and yes, more to occur. And now the foundation is moving out into the world and making a bold statement about its role in, in supporting paediatricians and healthcare workers to save the lives of children and adults, of course, mm. um, in low resource environments. So that that really that came to mind. So tell me about the story of baby Francis. Well, baby Francis represents the literally hundreds of thousands of children around the world who 
um, for whatever reason have, have contracted perhaps a respiratory disease and need treatment and of course good health care and oxygen in many of those cases where it's a respiratory disease can really make a substantive difference to whether or not that child is able to, to live and to then continue breathing and thrive. So it, it really, baby Francis in particular represents, I think that every single life is important, hence the, the, the I think the, the, the importance of naming the, the baby mm. um, and is part of our aspiration to ultimately make sure that every health centre around the world, particularly those where power supply is unreliable, can provide consistent oxygen um, and that children like baby Francis don't, don't go without. Something I think, um, as you and I are living here in a first world country that we would appreciate is we can often take for granted oxygen. Uh, you know, right. everybody, it's like it's around us, it's available. Mm. Electricity, you know, if we can turn a switch and the lights will come on. And so I think one of the things that um, has been most delightful and surprising to me is both, okay, this is a problem, but hooray, there are people who are actually looking into this. And when I saw the website, I was very inspired how people are recognizing if you're going to tackle this problem, you don't tackle it with big, sophisticated solutions that we might do in the first world. You get really simple you get really basic you do something that's connected to people on the ground and where the need is absolutely so the reality is I think in 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 many parts of the more well-resourced world we turn a tap on on the wall and oxygen flows and we don't think anything more of it mm. but that's not the case in in some of the locations that we're working including Tanzania and Uganda and the I think what really inspired me about the Frio 2 Foundation team from the outset is their focus on systems that are fit for purpose, no, not just the technology. So, yes, the, the actual oxygen system needs to be robust, it needs to be affordable, it needs to, um, it needs to continue operating through fluctuations in power, and there's all sorts of other elements in the oxygen delivery system that are really important, like having a well-trained team of healthcare workers who can administer or use the oxygen appropriately, having regional and national health departments that value the provision of oxygen and will maintain funding. Um, there needs to be teams of people who are trained to install and maintain the system. So there's lots of different parts that all need to come together. Um, and going back to our earlier point, of course, engineers play an important role in areas like technology design, mm. but we need healthcare professionals and we need um, people with experience around health policy, for example, and global supply chains to all come to the table to make sure that we can turn the tap on next to the patient's bed at the end of the day. It truly is an ecosystem of people yes. and ideas and knowledge connecting together. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So in a, a big part of uh, the team's focus at the moment, or a part, an important part, is the manufacture of the oxygen products and that's happening internationally, as you can expect. So there's, it's a, it's very much a global team mm, that are working around the, yeah, the product. So we've been hearing about some of those memorable stories. I imagine with all of this, there are challenges that happen. Is there a particular challenge, whether it's in Frio two or even more broadly in the engineering space, that you've faced in the work that you do? And then, what's your approach to tackling and overcoming that challenge? Wow. Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is supporting how we support organisations like Frio2 Foundation to have the resources they need at the time that they need. 
So when I look back on all of the different types of social businesses that I've worked with, something that's often quite challenging is that groups will go through a phase of demonstrating a new idea or concept. And then there's this, sometimes this no man's land between demonstration and being able to scale the business that's really quite tricky to navigate. Um, so in some of the cases, that, or some, with some of the organisations I've worked with, they were going to be good candidates for impact investment down the track, but weren't quite ready or able to demonstrate what their cash flow looked like over the next five to 10 years. So I guess in terms of how we address that sort of challenge, you know, really good planning around the different types of capability and the sorts of um, financing that an organisation requires as it goes on its journey is really, really important. What I'm hearing in that too is there's a mix of mindsets that's needed and a mix of skill sets that, it, you know, on one hand, it might be a bit analytical in terms of what's needed here to problem solve, but something that might be more creative and optimistic for, well, how are we actually going to move forward with this and solve these problems? So a real kind of mix going on there. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Oxygen, as we're talking about, is life-giving. So mm -hmm. you mentioned a little bit before about for you that one of the things is getting out of nature. Are there other things that you do that, you know, literally um, are a way of bringing oxygen into your system and, and giving you that boost? There's a number of things, Helen, uh, and in no particular order. I love getting in a room with a whiteboard and working with a group of colleagues that come from perhaps very different experiences and backgrounds but are focused on a common purpose or cause. And whether that's sort of working out how to access a new opportunity or solving quite a specific problem, um, I, find, I find that really inspiring and enjoyable. Um, and on a completely different note, I love great food and Ooh. finding new bakeries or patisseries is also something that makes me incredibly excited. <laughs> so I'm wondering when you came to Ligon Street in Melbourne, where did you get to enjoy good food? Oh, my goodness, yes. And Melbourne in general. I, I lived in Brunswick East for nine, nearly ten years and was incredibly spoilt by the great restaurants and cafes. And I'm, I'm not sure anybody would necessarily describe that as life-giving, but for me it is. It's, ah. a, it's an important part of, I think, what I enjoy in life and who I am. So... Yeah. When I taste something that's delicious, there's a part of me that starts thinking, how did somebody know to put these ingredients together in this kind of way? And what did that take in terms of how many recipes were tested to produce something that in this moment I get to enjoy? Absolutely. You know, the funny thing is um, one of my close friends, Kate, has been sending me pictures in the last hour of a new patisserie she's found. And she one of the pictures was of a, a Danish with, a savoury Danish with, mm thin slices of blood orange, roasted fennel, and a parmesan cream. I'm like, oh, my goodness, that just sounds, that sounds incredible. And what, I mean, I know orange and fennel go really well together, yeah. but with parmesan on a Danish, I, anyway, I'm going to have to, I think I'm going to hunt one of those down <laughs> tomorrow or on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, that sounds crazy, but yes, delicious, because I think yeah. it's, it's something for me in that creativity where you think, did something just fall off the shelves onto the bench that a person decided, well, let's see how fennel and blood orange go? Was there really quite an experimental mindset of, I'm, I wonder how these things will go together? Yeah. And I, I love cooking for friends. That's, that's also an important part of my life. And um, I actually cook with um, orange and fennel as a as sort of a raw salad and I put olives through it as well. Like, oh, there you go for another unusual kind of combination. <laughs> well, indeed.
What advice would you give the younger you who was entering the workforce or contemplating what direction you might go work-wise? Helen, I'd say to my younger self that there are many, many exciting and varied career and job opportunities that I won't see and experience until I actually find them or create them. Um, and to follow my instinct around doing what feels right rather than perhaps what's traditional, conventional or the norm. Um, unfortunately, I feel like I stepped out of a fairly um, well-mapped or well-charted career path very early on, and that certainly made it much easier for me to do that again and again and again. But I would, I would certainly tell my much younger self to act promptly on that sense of intuition and not to get too hung up on whether or not I was creating a role that didn't have a name. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's what I'd share. And as I mentioned before, at the moment, I work across a number of organisations. And I, one, I, I guess I could describe myself as a consultant, although I don't really identify with the standard interpretation of that. Yes. And I, I, think, I think I'm okay with that. Um, you know, I think we still, there's still a dominant paradigm of being in one role and I've completely shifted away from that idea entirely um, yeah which leads me to my last question um, life is not about how many moments we get it's about those moments that can take our breath away so what's been some moments that have taken your breath away apart from those wonderful food moments well Helen I've had a few moments recently with 302 Foundation where Supporters have really come to the table in a very generous way. And it means that as an organisation, we're now in a transition from technology development into, you know, really testing the products that have been developed and now scaling up. So we're in that implementation phase now. And a number of supporters have come to us and really shown faith in, in our work um, and are starting to help resource that next phase in Uganda and, and Tanzania and potentially more broadly. And that's, I think that's, it, it has taken my breath away because it's been an important show of confidence and support for the mission that we're working towards. And it's wonderful that there are so many fabulous people out there that I think are now part of the Frio2 Foundation team on that journey with us. Oh, wonderful. Lizzie, it's been lovely to talk to you, to learn a little bit more about yourself and what's going on in the foundation. Thanks for being part of today's conversation. Thank you very much, Helen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. In this current context of COVID-19, accessible oxygen supply is critical. A hypoxic child cannot survive seven minutes without constant oxygen supply. That's how quickly a baby's life is lost. And that's why at Frio2 have made it their mission to keep the oxygen flowing, even when the power cuts out. Please like, share and subscribe to this podcast. You can also follow us on our website, www.frio2.org or on Facebook at Frio2, Instagram and Twitter at Frio2AU and LinkedIn at Frio2 Foundation Australia. Thanks for listening.